0: As we continue our theme for the year, our study in excellence, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we gather here this evening as your church in Altoona, Iowa, we come in hope and expectation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We come boldly before your throne. Crying out, Abba, Father. I will praise you, Lord, for you are worthy of worship. And I pray even in this hour, as we open the word of God, I pray that I would speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. That I would speak with clarity, with boldness, with authority. The word of God may go forth, that your spirit may work through your word in each and every one of our lives accomplishing your purpose for your glory, for you, Lord, are worthy of our worship. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our theme for the year is excellence. And our verse for the year, as we've been saying... uh, Weekly, as we do our offering, especially in the morning, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Rather than doing uh, a, a sermon on our theme of the year every month uh, throughout the year, I decided to kind of break it up and, and, and start with that at the beginning. And we say the verse still every week, and then I'll do a sermon here on, our, on the theme of excellence, and then kind of bring it to a close again at the end of the, of the year. Um, I found that the month between each sermon just made it difficult to do a sermon series that way, and then it cut up all the other sermon series we we're trying to do as well. Um, but I think, this way, I think this way works for us. But in January, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 10.31 and the surrounding context, really what we we saw there, that that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, the idea there is that because my goal is God's glory, therefore my pursuit must be excellence. Because my goal is God's glory, and everything that I do as a Christian, my pursuit then must be excellence. It's important to understand in that as well that that it is not our pursuit of excellence that leads us to God. Rather, understanding what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 10 31, it is our pursuit of Christ that demands excellence out of us. It is who we are in Christ that demands excellence. Because God is worthy of worship. He is worthy of excellence in everything. As we turn our attention to Philippians 1, verses 3 to 11, this evening, the reason I chose this is because Paul here is praying for these Philippian believers and part of his prayer is that they would choose excellent things. And I want us to explore, what does that mean? What is Paul really praying for here? And we're going to get to that. But I think the context leading up to that is important. important. See, the book of Philippians is what is known as a prison epistle. It is written by the Apostle Paul while he is sitting in Rome under house arrest, waiting for a trial. And one of the fascinating things about that fact is that the theme of Philippians is joy. In fact, we'll see the first mention of joy here in verse 4, and it shows up then 14 times throughout the book. But how can a man who is sitting under house arrest, who doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die, he doesn't know what the outcome of this trial will be. How can that man write a book on joy? I think it ties back to even what we've already seen in the mornings so our studies through 1 Peter. Paul understands, like Peter, that his hope, his, his joy is not tied to the here and now. His hope and joy is tied to something else. He is looking ahead and hope. His hope is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. His citizenship is in a kingdom that is coming. So therefore the circumstances of this life they don't steal Paul's joy. They don't affect his hope. In fact, he starts out here, verse three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God. A man sitting under house arrest, thanking God. In fact, you could really say that the whole book of Philippians is a thank you card or thank you letter sent to the Philippians. You see that even at the end, Philippians four, eighteen. What is the occasion for the writing of this letter? But Paul says this, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Paphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See, the Philippians have been supporting Paul. They have sent things to Paul. And so Paul is writing then, responding to that, saying, thank you. And at the same time, several other important things are included in here. So in these first several verses, in fact, verse 3 to 8, what we see is the occasion of Paul's prayer. The occasion of Paul's prayer, for those of you kids doing kids' notes, occasion there underlined, that's the word you're looking for. Uh, the big idea will be actually at the end of the sermon. So if you're one of those note people who doesn't get your notes and it bothers you, kids, just know the big idea will be the end of the sermon. But here we see the occasion of Paul's prayer. He is praying, he is thanking them. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy. Essentially what Paul is saying here is, every time I think of you, I pray for you, and every time I pray for you, I pray with joy. You are an encouragement to me. In fact, just note right the, the language there, verse 3 and 4, every remembrance, always, every prayer, Whenever I remember you, in every prayer for you, I always thank God for you. You are an encouragement to me. It's important there to pause too at the end of verse 3 this who is it that he's writing to? Every time, every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you. Who is the you here? Well, as you can see from the title of the book, Philippians. This is the Philippian church. Really a remarkable story there. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to spend some time reading Acts 16, the founding of this church. As Paul and Silas come, and and Lydia and the women, they go, they meet them by the river. Paul and Silas end up getting thrown in jail. They're singing songs. They're praising the Lord at midnight. uh, um, Earthquake comes. The Philippian jailer is about to take his own life, thinking the prisoners have escaped before Paul and Silas say, Hold on, we're all here. And then they have the opportunity to lead that Philippian jailer and his family to Christ. I mean, talk about just an amazing start to a church. So this is a church that Paul obviously has a close ties to. And this is a church that has been faithful to him, alongside him, in the ministry since then, as we see here. You are an encouragement to me, he says. I can't help reading this, and, and I hope and pray that we at Altoona Regular Baptist Church, that we are an encouragement like this to the missionaries and, and the ministries that we support. That when they think of Altoona Regular Baptist Church, they're not like, oh, we've got to go there again and give them an update. Rather, they're like, yes, every time I think of them, I rejoice in them. I pray that we are a church like that. To be a church like that, it takes people like that. It's something that each one of us must be striving towards, being an encouragement, praying for each other, one another, for our missionaries, the mission- ministries that we support. I make requests for you with all joy, Paul says. What is it that causes this joy, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now? See, the reason for Paul's joy and his rejoicing in these Philippians believers is their partnership with him in the gospel. They understand, and Paul understands, that they are not competing with one another, rather together or apart They proclaim the same gospel with the same hope for the same reason. They are on the same team, and both of their goals is the glory of God. They are striving together. This is the mindset of gospel partnership. We are working together to spread the gospel. Part of that working together is the Philippian church being faithful in Philippi to spread the gospel. Part of it is what we just saw in chapter 4. Them supporting Paul and his ministry as he goes out and plants new churches. Part of it is sending members like Epaphroditus to encourage Paul. Part of it is praying for Paul. And part of it is Paul praying for them. And Paul sending Epaphroditus back to them. They are mutually working together for the good of the gospel, looking out for one another, praying for one another. Verse 6, we see Paul's confidence in the gospel. or Paul's confidence in God. He's rejoicing in the church. He's rejoicing in their partnership, their fellowship with him in the gospel. And then we see Paul's confidence in God. Verse 6, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who's begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that the effective gospel partnership between him and the Philippian church is built on the solid foundation of God's faithfulness. Paul's hope in this is not that the Philippian church would just be amazing. Paul's hope and the Philippian church's hope as they partner together for the good of the gospel Is that because God will be faithful because they know they are built on that sound, sure foundation that God will be faithful to do what he has promised. Therefore, they can be faithful in the things that he has called them to. So I am rejoicing with you, brothers, as we fellowship together in the gospel, as we partner together in the gospel. And this I know And I'm enjoying this fellowship, but my hope's not based on this fellowship. I know that this fellowship works because both of us are hoping in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we know that God will bring to completion what he has begun. The work of the ministry is built on the solid foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that is their hope. And it's right for me to think of this of you all, Paul says. Not only are they partners in the gospel, not only is there confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but verses 7 to 8, really we see that the partnership here between them goes beyond just like a business transaction. Paul loves these believers. I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers with me of grace. You are benefiting As you give to my ministry, as you support me, not only when I am free, but even now in my chains, you're not ashamed of me. You've not given up on me. What encouragement that is for Paul here we see. But even here in chains, you are partakers with me. You are, because you've partnered with me, you also benefit with me. The fruit of my ministry is the fruit of your ministry. Because we are partners Together, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. There's a love here, a deep love and care for this church. The reality is that gospel partnership produces deep relationships, ties that run just as deep, if not deeper than family ties. There's a love here. There's a partnership here. There's a purpose here that goes beyond this world. A gospel purpose, a gospel hope that ties them together. So Paul writes to them. He's rejoicing with them and in them. And he is praying for them. The question is, what specifically is Paul praying? And that's what we see in verses 9 to 11. This is the content of Paul's prayer. This I pray, he says, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's really four things that Paul mentions here, four steps. And the first is this. This is my prayer for you, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. See, Paul is writing to them and he's rejoicing in the love that they have shown to him. And yet Paul prays here that their love would just continue to grow, that it would abound More and more in knowledge and in discernment. This is a love that is anchored in truth. It is a love that is insightful, specifically. It is a wise love. Paul is praying, he's saying, I want you to have a wise love. I want you to love the right things. I want you to love the right things. I want you to love the things that God loves. See, Paul's not talking here about their love for him. He's just talking in general. I want you to see the world rightly. I want you to love things the way that God, I want you to love what God loves. I want you to grow in love in that way. That you would love with knowledge, a, a love that is anchored in truth. Let me pause right there and ask you: How how do I grow my love and knowledge? How do I grow my love and knowledge? Is it not through the Word of God? The Word of God that is sharper than any two edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit. The Word of God. In fact, turn over if you will to second. Uh, Timothy 3, 16-17. a Powerful passage that speaks on this very topic. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How is it that I grow in knowledge, that I have a love that is anchored in truth, and I grow in that? It is through the Word of God. It is through knowing and loving God's Word. And as you study God's Word, then the Word of God works in you, shaping your affections so that you grow to love the things that God loves. And as you grow to love the things that God loves, and you have a love that is wise, a love that is insightful then, verse 10, wise love then approves excellent things. This wise love, I want you to have this wise love that you may approve the things that are excellent. Wise love approves excellent things. This is the ability to distinguish between worthless and worthwhile. It's the idea of discernment. I want your your thinking, Paul says, I want your love to be shaped by God's word. So that then the things that you choose to invest in, the things that you pursue, they will be excellent things. Because you love what God loves. Because your love is shaped by the truth, by God's word. This morning I gave an illustration of soccer. When I was in in high school and and college, I loved soccer. I spent way too much money and time in soccer. And uh, you see, soccer cleats are basically made on three levels. You can get a pair of soccer cleats for 50 bucks or less. You can get a pair for anywhere between 75 to 125, or you can get a pair from somewhere between 200 to 300. At least that was 15 years ago when I was in college. It's probably changed. Um, and the difference is in the, the different materials that it's made with, and all those kind of little stitchings and things like that. And probably didn't matter for the level of soccer that I was playing at, but it felt like it mattered. But I spent hours reading soccer magazines and looking through different magazines and and I'd go and I'd I'd feel them and I'd I'd spend hours looking at all the different cleats and deciding which I got to the point where I could walk into any store, I could pick up a pair of cleats, I could tell you what material it was made out of and I could give you a range of what it was worth within probably $20. I I could tell. This is a low end one, this is a middle one, this is a high one. I'm not necessarily proud of that. But that's the idea here, the ability to approve what is excellent, to, to, to walk in, to pick something up and to know this is real, this is worthwhile, or this is not. Approve the things that are excellent. In fact, we see this word again in Philippians 4, not only approving the things that are excellent, but Philippians 4 talks about things we should think about. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on things that are excellent. Meditate on the the truth of God's word, things that are beautiful and true. The one whose affections are shaped by God's word will then learn to approve the things that are excellent. They will learn to love the things that are excellent. And when you learn to to love and to approve the things that are excellent, then you will be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. It guards you against falling away. The idea here is faithfulness, sincere, that that's pure or or True. Without offense, the idea of blameless, having a good testimony or a good conscience, as Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5 and 19, have a good conscience, Timothy. Then you will know that you have a true faith. You will have a good testimony before the world. Till the day of Jesus Christ, you will be faithful. When your affections are shaped by scripture, you have a love anchored in truth that leads then to the approval of excellent things, the pursuit and love of things that are excellence, which then produces faithfulness in the Christian life, which ultimately, verse 11, produces the fruit of righteousness in you, which is change for God's glory. It is growth. That you may be sincere without offense the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. It produces the fruit of righteousness in you. It produces change. So brothers and sisters, as we look at this passage, the the message is this, and this is the big idea for you kids, that excellence is no accident. Excellence is no accident. It's not something you stumble into. You don't stumble into excellence. If we want to pursue excellence, if you, brothers and sisters, want to be excellent, want to approve things that are excellent, first, you must have your love shaped by the word of God. Know God's word. Love God's word. Let God's word mold your affections. And as your affections change, then you will grow to love and pursue the things that are excellent. And as you grow to love and pursue the things that are excellent, that will produce faithfulness in you. And that faithfulness then will produce growth to the glory of God. Or as I put it here on the screen, excellence is no accident. The fruit of wise love is discernment. Discernment produces faithfulness. Faithfulness produces growth. Really what we're talking about here this morning, or this evening, is the idea of sanctification. This is a lifelong process, and it starts first with the word of God. And that's what Paul is praying. Brothers and sisters, I want you, I want you to be on this path. I want you to have a love shaped by truth that then produces discernment in you that you may pick those things that are excellent that you may pursue those things which will then in you produce faithfulness which will then produce growth to the glory of God I want you to grow in Christ I want you to know the riches of his salvation the riches of growing in Christ I want you to have a faith that is faithful that is making disciples, that is testifying to the world around you of the hope that you have. I want you to produce excellent things. And excellence is no accident. So, brothers and sisters, if we are to be committed to excellence, we must first be committed to the word of God. We must love God's word. We must know God's word. We must soak in God's word. Letting that shape our affections so that we will then pursue the things that are excellence as we come to love the things that God loves. May we be a church filled with those who love what God loves and who pursue what God pursues with excellence to the glory of God. With that in mind, we're going to transition to the Lord's table this evening. Ethan Taylor is actually going to be leading us in the Lord's table. Uh, He did not get to do that with his internship, so tonight he gets the opportunity to do that as he was sick when it was his turn. And as we come to the Lord's table, we're going to first join together in singing Beneath the Cross of Jesus, hymn number 285. And I pray that even as we confess these truths in song, as we meditate on these truths, preparing our heart for the Lord's table, that our prayer would be, That because of the cross of Jesus, because of the finished work of Christ, even as we're going to come and celebrate in this table, looking forward in hope, because of that finished work, Lord, mold me, work in me to love the things that you love so that I can love the things that are excellent, so that I can pursue those things, so that I can grow, so that I can testify and glorify you in all that I say and do. So let's stand together and sing hymn number 285, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Beneath the cross of Jesus I find a place to stand.